Our scripture reading this morning is from the letter, 1 Peter, and it begins in the chapter, third chapter. Listen, listen for the word of God. Finally, all of you be of one mind, sympathetic, lovers of your fellow believers, compassionate and modest in your opinion of yourselves. Don't pay back evil for evil or insult for insult. Instead, give blessing in return. You were called to do this so that you might inherit a blessing. For those who want to love life and see good days should keep their tongues from evil speaking and their lips from speaking lies. They should shun evil and do good. Seek peace and chase after it. The Lord's eyes are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the Lord cannot tolerate those who do evil. Who will harm you if you are zealous for good? Be happy, but happy are you even if you suffer because of righteousness. Don't be terrified or upset. Instead, regard Christ as holy in your heart. Whenever you ask anyone to speak of your hope, be ready to defend it. Yet do this with humility, maintaining a good conscience. Act in this way so that those who malign your good lifestyle in Christ may be ashamed when they slander you. It is better to suffer for doing good, if this could be God's will, than for doing evil. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. First Peter is a letter about suffering. That's what the whole letter is about. It's five chapters on suffering, which sounds like it may not be a very fun read, but it's about suffering in the midst of hope. And those seem like contradictory ideas. How can you hope and suffer at the same time? How can you feel hope, be hopeful, and be suffering? Well, we need to know a few things about 1 Peter to start with. First, from the very beginning of the book, the author is telling you that your experience of suffering, he's talking to the early Christians, your experience of suffering is the same experience that the exiles had when they left Israel to go to Babylon. Remember when we talked about that with Jeremiah, when the temple was destroyed and the exiles were taken away and how downtrodden they felt because they no longer had hope. And yet Jeremiah leads them through the exile until they can return home. Peter sees in this passage, in this life, in this Christian suffering, a repeat of the exile, of Exodus, and of Babylon. Now, it's unlikely this is the same Peter who walked with Jesus. First of all, he wrote in Greek, and it's pretty unlikely that an uneducated fisherman from Galilee could write Greek. I can't write Greek, and I took the class, right? And so it's unlikely Peter actually wrote this. And it's also unlikely because the the book, the letter, was written in the late 80s or early 90s AD. And if Peter was around at the same time that Jesus was, yeah, he's not writing letters in the late 90s, right? Either way, this was pretty common. It was really normal. People who were students of a rabbi would write in the rabbi's name. Paul had this happen to him several times. The same thing happens to Peter. So in reality, this is probably a letter written by a student of Peter's, 
who has seen Peter's mission and ministry and knows what he would say or thinks he knows. Because this doesn't sound a lot like Peter. You remember Peter from the gospel, the one who was cutting people's ears off, right? Remember Peter from the gospel who was yelling at Jesus, who Jesus said, get behind me, Satan, because Peter was so angry and fighting back? This doesn't sound like Peter. And so Peter has either gotten super wise in his old age and changed how he related to suffering, or one of his disciples, one of his students, softened his edge. Either way, 1 Peter claims that Christians who seek to follow Jesus will experience suffering. They will experience suffering, and that suffering will be as a result of their faith. Their suffering will be as a result of their choice to follow Jesus to the letter, to make choices to follow Jesus. They will suffer for doing good. Now, all of this is the fault of baptism. We think of baptism as sort of being a benign thing where we have little babies and we pour some water on them and we say, congratulations, baby, welcome to the world, right? And it's a really sweet moment of, of rite of passage. But if we think about baptism in its depth, what we're really saying is this baby, this child, this adult, whenever you are baptized says, I claim you. I claim you. I claim you with this gift of grace, and I'm going to seal that gift of grace, and I'm going to give it to you, and now you have it, and you have to do something. You get to be part of the family. Yes, absolutely. You get to be part of the family, and we're going to love you, and we're going to care for you, and you can never go anywhere where God is not with you, but you have to do something. The act of baptism saves us, but it doesn't save us just from sin. It saves us from the desire to do things that are outside of God's grace. And so the act that saves us, the part of baptism that is salvific for us, it's not the water. It's not the words. It's when we put those words into action. It's when we act with good conscience. And it's when we claim the name of Jesus and sit with the downtrodden and with the afflicted. You see, suffering in the Christian context is often misunderstood. We talk a lot about persecution nowadays, the persecution of Christians. And there is some honest-to-God persecution happening in the world. It is. There are places where it is challenging and difficult to be a Christian. If you went to, went to China, for example, and tried to be a Christian outside of the, the official church, then it's very likely you're going to end up in a prison camp. Now, that is real persecution. That is a real risk for faith. Or what about in places like Ethiopia, where there's religious wars happening, and you can die as a result of your faith? That is persecution. It happens. It's in the world. And I've got a secret for you. Those are the places where Christianity is booming. The places where people experience real persecution as a result of their faith have the biggest churches, and the faith is spreading. Now, we talk about persecution, and 
And it's sure, it's not as easy to be a Christian in America as it used to be. It's not as easy to be a Christian as it might have been once upon a time. It's not as easy, but it's not, not persecution. We're not being persecuted in America. We still have a lot of an ability to have a say in what goes on in the world. We're not going to end up in prison as a result of our faith. We're not going to die as a result of our faith. And so we are not persecuted, but have a gift we can offer the world. Now, some religions also talk about physical suffering. So if you grew up Amish, for example, your life has to be hard because they believe that you are purified through the act of suffering. And so that is salvific. And that is not what this passage is talking about either. God is not asking us to deny ourselves food or electricity. God is not asking us to sacrifice in that way. That is not the suffering Peter is talking about either, to purposefully make ourselves suffer. I have some friends who are both PhD chemists, and one day they were talking to me about how bad they felt because they had never had to suffer. They'd always had enough money. They'd, always, they'd never gone without. They'd never had a lack of material possessions, and so they felt like they weren't Christian enough. But that is not the suffering that Peter's talking about either. Whatever blessings you receive from God are yours to use for God's kingdom. But you don't have to suffer like that anyway. What first Peter tells us is that when we suffer as a Christian, we do it on Christ's behalf. When we suffer as a Christian, it's because we are making choices that risk our social standing, maybe. Or they risk maybe people being upset with us, or they risk acting on behalf of the powerless and the people who have no voice. When we've been baptized, when we are baptized into Christ's resurrection, we're also baptized into his suffering. And the way that Jesus suffered during his life was because he chose to live out the commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbors as much as you love your enemies. Sit at table with those who are undesirable. Reach out to the leper. Risk. Risk for the sake of the gospel. This is not suffering caused by God. God is not asking you to, to suffer physical suffering only unless it was required by the gospel because you choose to sit with those whom Jesus would sit with. And you choose to speak for those whom Jesus would speak for. And it's very clear in the gospel who those people are. Jesus is speaking for those who can't speak. He's eyes for those who are blind. He preaches release of the captives. Jesus' gospel, Jesus' suffering is when we act on behalf of others. And that may be difficult sometimes, and it may cause us to lose friends sometimes, and it may put us at odds with others, but if we're going to be baptized with God into God's suffering, then we are baptized into that risk as well. And so our job as Christians is to extend that gift of hope. 
where our job is to extend the gift of hope to those who have no hope, who can't have hope because they don't see out of the darkness. We rest on a solid foundation of Christ. We're not going anywhere. God's not going to leave us alone. We've been claimed and named by God. And so we can risk. We can risk offering hope. This is what it looks like to me. Dr. Abraham Vargasi wrote this story in the New York Times Magazine many years ago about when he went to help people who were victims of Hurricane Katrina. Feels like a thousand years since Hurricane Katrina, doesn't it? And over the years, Vergasi, who was a medical doctor, had learned to steel himself against the sight of human suffering. It was his training so he could make it through the day, so he could treat his patients, and so he could face day after day of loss and grief and pain. And he said one night while he was helping, he treated an elderly gentleman whose home had been destroyed by Katrina. For two days, the man had perched on a ledge without food or water. And when a boat finally picked him up, he was dropped off on a bridge that was packed with other refugees. And when Vergasi heard this story, he was deeply moved, and he said to the man the only words he could think of, I'm so sorry. And the man stood up, and he shook his hand, and he said, thank you. I needed to hear that. He thought about, so the doctor thought about the ways he'd steeled himself against suffering, and he realized that it didn't help anybody. It was protecting himself. And he realized that if he was going to be a Christian witness, he had to be willing to be wounded. He had to be willing to be wounded so that he could step into their experience. And so if we're going to follow Christ, if we're going to be part of Christ's family, then we have to step into those moments where people need some hope. We have to accompany people through the face of loss and through true sorrow and true oppression. We have to be willing to be wounded because it's only when we're open to the possibility of our own pain that we can offer grace. It's only when we do what is right instead of what's easy. We may suffer for it in the short term, but the act of choosing hope, when the act of choosing hope instead of doubt, instead of fear, instead of loss, it opens the door a little wider for somebody else who maybe needs that witness, who needs that gift of grace. When we use our position of power and prestige in our relatively comfortable lives to walk through the door with those who lack the ability to open the doors for themselves, God's hope shines. And that gift gets passed one step farther down the line. When we remember our baptism and the unearned gift of God's grace, we are able to risk hope. We're able to risk hope for the future. We're able to risk hope when everything looks hopeless. Yes, we might lose something along the way. We might get hurt. We might experience pain. But we will also gain a deeper understanding and appreciation of the possibilities of God. And we experience hope. Deep hope. And for that, we can be thankful. Amen.